staff will call the roll. We have a number of folks for public comment, which we'll do first um, before moving on to our only item. Uh, so I think most of you are available to answer questions. Let's just sort through. So we'll start with Otto Gephardt, who is in support, wishing to speak, and then uh, do you all want to just come up together? We've also got Mike Slavish, uh, Bill Borigter, I don't know how to pronounce your last name, sorry, I, and Isaac Wallace are all registered to speak. Um, in support and available to answer questions are Lee Christensen, Carter, Joey Bunbury, John Seaman, Angela Black, and Patrick Egan. Again, I commend the architects on their handwriting. <laughs> and so, uh, technically, I think you've each got three minutes, so let's try and keep it roughly within that, and I'm sure we'll have questions. Great. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it off. Uh, again, I'm Mike Slavish here representing Gephardt Development. Um, I'm going to, after I'm going to say just a few comments about how we got to this point, just a reminder to the finance committee uh, that I'm, I plan to turn that over to Isaac Wallace. Iconica is going to go through the latest design concepts and then turn that over to Otto, uh, our owner, to really respond to the four questions that were posed to us at the last finance committee meeting. And just in, the, in terms of uh, recap and the history here, uh, I just want this committee to know that the Gephardt team has been diligently balanced, trying to balance all the, all the requests and all the objectives for this relatively complex project. Uh, I'd like to remind the committee about the four objectives that were laid out initially for this in the RFP, and that was um, the most number of units and highest density on this project, the largest number of affordable units. We, you will see in our option three, we are still at 71. And those are true affordable units, those units that are 60% of the AMI or less. Uh, the, uh, the third thing was the, uh, the highest tax base. You'll see in our proposal and then write up from the negotiating team that we are still at $40 million in this option three, which is our preferred um, option. And then, of course, was the, the highest purchase price for the podium and the air rights above. So through those negotiations, there were a couple of additional objectives that were articulated to us, our team, and the negotiating committee. And that was for us to consider interspersing the units, uh, the affordable units throughout the building. Um, our original proposal had those, as we all know, on three contiguous floors. Um, our current proposal has that as well. This committee had asked us to consider, you know, options to do that. We presented those uh, at the last finance committee meeting. We had two different options both of which came at a cost, given the fact that we were losing the 4% tax credits. The feedback that we got back, I believe, from this committee through the negotiating team was that the city was not interested in spending any more money. I guess that's to be confirmed, but that's the feedback that we, ha that we have. 
which is why we are continuing to move forward with the three contiguous floors, which you'll see in the options three and four that we presented. The other, uh, the other challenge that I think we've all been wrestling with, and to be perfectly honest, the one that's probably given, <laughs> which has taken probably the most time on the, on the part of our team, city staff, Dave Schaller, your outside uh, structural engineering consultant, and that is the consideration to minimize, if not eliminate, the impact on the parking structure below and the podium. So we've been working hard at that. Um, I'm not going to... Uh, Otto's going to get into that in a little bit, but I think you'll see that we found a way to potentially reduce those costs considerably. Uh, we remain... It, it, I think it remains ob ob obvious to us and to our structural engineer that whatever option we present or any other option that um, was considered by this committee from other competitors, all of which would require some form of podium modification, given that each of these designs is quite a bit different than what Viber had proposed. So with that, um, I'd like to turn it over to Isaac to run through the latest design concept. Thank you. Sure, thanks. So, uh, yeah, I'm just... The update is uh, looking at where we are after all the steps that we've gone through, so there's no kind of gray area of what the building looks like or what the form takes today. So um, as these guys mentioned, uh, you know, last kind of real look at this thing, um, our proposal was impacting 22 different footings um, based on the feedback we got from uh, the structural, city structural engineer and collaborated with our engineering team. Um, and what we identified that by simply sliding our building uh, to uh, Wilson or to Pinckney Street, um, we're actually um, engaging less columns. Um, but also with that, we were realizing that we need to, to shrink or lessen the loads on the podium structure, um, let's say uh, to the MMB side of the building. So this diagram here shows the column footings that we are still engaging, um, which has come down from the 22 that you were looking at previously down to a maximum of 12 columns. Um, and footings at the lowest level only. So this isn't the whole stack of columns like it was previously. Um, in order to do this, we have some extra height, as you can see in the diagram on the right. Uh, the steel structure actually has a thicker floor, floor system. In order to maintain some decent head heights, um, we've gone to uh, nine floors of residential units, uh, eight floors at the wings with the cold form steel. Uh, so the lobby level, we have one lobby for all residents of the building. Um, getting rid of the office use, we don't need a second lobby for that anymore. Um, so all units will have one central lobby, mail area, leasing office. Um, and then we'll have a fifth floor that has partial residential units and then uh, very similar community spaces like we had previously, uh, fitness room, community room, and all those spaces would have access, and all residents would have access to this rooftop uh, patio on this floor. Uh, we constructed a quick rendering here to kind of show what that space could feel like, um, dog walk amenities, some shade amenities, plantings and such, uh, just to kind of get a feel of what we're looking at there. Um, once again, this would be available to all residents throughout the building. Uh, our typical floor plan is 25 units uh, with a mix of studios, one bedroom, one bedroom den, some two bedroom units. Um, obviously, two bedrooms taking advantage of the corners. And then our rooftop, uh, our 13th floor, we're actually paring the number of units down and getting a community space that's, once again, accessible to all residents um, throughout the building with some nice views um, looking at the lake. Um, still locating our uh, solar panels on this level as well. 
And here's a quick look at the elevation. Um, as we're studying this, the building forms have changed slightly, but I think still holds true to the initial concepts that we've put forward. And we have a few renderings that we can walk through here just to kind of give you the fit and feel of the building. We're asked to um, bring in the hotel next door to kind of show how our building responds to that. Some bird's eye perspectives of what the building could look like. Here's a view with MMB in the foreground. You get an idea of the scale of our building next to that building. And a perspective from the street level of the same. So, thanks. Thanks, Isaac. Um, I'd just like to start by after working now, we've been through about five different design changes, um, trying to come up with what we feel is the best design. I think option three, which is laid out in front of you, is the one we feel meets all the criteria, as Mike pointed out in the beginning, from the original RFP and the closest one to what the council originally, um, I think, voted for. Uh, it includes 208 residential units. The office floor has now been eliminated. It provides 71 affordable units at 60% of the, uh, uh, the median income on three contiguous floors, five, six, and seven. Um, that brings back into play the 4% WIDA credits, which is what allows us to achieve that large number of affordable units. Um, we're requiring a million five uh, approximately from the city's affordable housing fund, which is the same as in the original proposal that we had put in and uh, in the RP originally. And the original price we had gotten um, from the city um, engineers in Cullen was 2.1 million for those podium mods in the original RFP. That looked like it was going up to 2.5. That's when we were asked and we retooled the design of the building from all PT to cold rolled steel on the wings to lower the weight and the impact on that structure. So that, that we feel is um, now we're looking at like a maximum worst case scenario of a million dollars in podium changes down from the 2.1 and hopefully a lot less than that. Um, we've got, um, finally, you know, we're, we're also maintaining the tax base, which I think is important, obviously, with $40 million um, assessment approximately with that. So given our understanding of the city's budgetary constraints uh, to spend no additional funds to interdisperse these units, we continue to propose the building of the 71 affordable units on three contiguous floors. Uh, as a reminder, neither Weta nor Baker Tilly, who is here tonight with us also and has been engaged by us, has closed a like transaction in Wisconsin with interdispersed units. But we, are, we have engaged Baker Tilly, and they are coming up with a report. To, and if it can be done, we are absolutely open to doing it. We're just trying to reward the most amount of affordable housing units we possibly can. Um, so they can answer some questions on that if you have any questions on that. Um, everything in the building, same finishes, all units, efficiencies, one bedrooms, two bedrooms, same finishes, same flooring, same decor, same hall space. Um, as in all our projects, there will be a fitness center, a conference center, uh, public uh, rooftop gardens and things on both the top floor and the middle floor used by all tenants and other public uh, functions as well. So we, th we think that will be, as always, we will program that, and our human resource director is here tonight if anyone has any questions on our programming and how we run things, you know, in other properties and keeping it inclusive and everything. Um, we're currently negotiating with three other um, alternatives to union contractors as an alternative to Cullen at this stage. We're hoping to make a decision by September. We're actively working with them. They've got plans. We're getting numbers, so we're actively in, in process of that. Um, and in closing, I'd just like to recognize the city's strong desire to move forward. We would like to move forward in this new project. Um, above the parking structure, we know that it's a necessity for you, the city, to open the parking structure November 1st. Um, and we believe by doing option three, the only things that should be touched, we believe, are things in the lower level 
So everything could be opened ideally in the parking structure by November 1st. Um, and then the rest of the work, if we get through the development agreement quickly and we go into uh, the next stage, we would think that 60 days is about the timing we're looking at to do the uh, modifications that would be required. And hopefully they're a lot less than the maximum they're putting in. So, and just, I just like to say in conclusion, we're totally committed to this project. Um, we'd love to get this done. We know it's a tight time frame, and we're putting all of our resources into getting this done. And, you know, love to get a shot of getting it finished. Thank you. Thank you. Questions? Mr. Furman? Thank you, Mayor. Um, the affordable housing units, I know at some point you guys were talking about them being um, 30 years or forever. Um, this latest proposal, are they for, would they be affordable housing for 30 years or permanent affordable housing? Well, the standard WIDA proposals on all the affordable housing is usually 30 years. What happened was, not in the beginning, but later on, WHPC came and became interested and involved, as you know, and came to us. That's something that they, if they were a partner in it, would be committing to doing it for the, for the life of the project. And that's no longer, they're no, no, no we, longer we talked with them this morning. So they could they're possibly. Still, if they can make it work and we can make it work, it's, it's still on the table. There's still an interest on the part of WHPC. They, you know, again, the design's been changing with design triggers, a change in cost. And, you know, so they're trying to understand the economics, how, how it works for them. Um, you know, we still have some work to do. But uh, we, we did, as Otto said, we chatted with them this morning with Mary Wright, their president. And she indicated that there's still an interest you know, depending on obviously the decision of uh, the finance committee and ultimately what design we go with, what the associated costs are for the condo that they would own. And I believe, you know, our commitment is 30, 30 years uh, if, if Otto is going to own this, this condo, um, which is what's required by WIDA and I think from the city as part of your affordable housing fund by ordinance. I think it's 30 years. Just follow up on that a little bit. Can you, and I don't want to ask you to speak for them necessarily, but to the extent that you know, can you um, share a little more detail about what their decision points are in terms of, you say that, that the cost to finish the, I mean, there's there's a deal to be done in, in terms of their involvement. What do you, can you say more about the decision points for them? I mean, I think the, the decision point, Mayor, is really just the economics, the, the, the final economics on if, if we move forward with three contiguous floors, so the economics associated with that condominium alone. And again, we have, we have not got updated numbers yet because we don't have a final design yet. So once, once we can do that, um, you know, they've indicated that they are still, they're still very much interested, provided that the economics work for them as well. And whether it's, whether it's Otto or whether it's WHPC or any other not-for-profit, the economics are really the same. Because they're going to pay real estate taxes just like the private sector would. So really the economics either way are going to be essentially the same. Other questions? Alder Morland? I just want to say thank you guys for um, trying to bring us what we wanted. I do appreciate the effort. Um, I don't know if you guys can speak to or want to speak to what um, happened with the relationship with Cullen because I thought from a city standpoint uh, we thought that this might be the best match because they know part of the building that you're going to be building on. So it, it, I guess, concerns me a bit that they're not a part of this anymore. And, you know, what happened and what are the implications of that? Um, sure, I can, uh, I can try to take that. Um, <laughs> well, certainly uh, any, any modifications to the podium and the city's parking structure, clearly I, I think it's the city's 
staff's objective to use Cullen for that work because they are familiar with that facility, that structure. Um, from our standpoint, we've got we've got some cost objectives that we're we're looking to achieve, and you know we weren't we weren't able to get there with with Cullen. Um, no reflection on them as a contractor; they're a great contractor. We just felt as though we needed to to look at some other options to make sure that you know the economics you know work for our side as well. That's the primary reason. So we don't. We, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. So, so we shouldn't be concerned about the, the things that were brought up before regarding the cost of taking down tower cranes, putting them up, and all the other stuff that was associated. I don't think so. I mean, just given the, the timeline that we've laid out for this project, which is a typical city process, I think the decision had already been made, even with Cullen, that that, that tower crane was coming out. It just wasn't cost-effective to leave it for, you know, these, these months until we actually started construction on our work. So that was already decided. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions, Alder Badar? So for a representative from Baker Chili, that's you, right? Um, so I heard this mention of you're going to still be able to explore the possibility of not having it in contiguous floors. Can you, I mean, from your perspective, as this has been a, a core issue of, of our negotiation, tell us a bit about what the challenges are there and what you see as a path forward, just generally your own perspective on Sure. Um, we, we can get down in the weeds a little bit uh, with this topic, but uh, in, in general, what you're talking about is trying to create two different condos of ownership, including, for example, if WHPC was involved with the weeded tax credits. The difficulty, it, well, I should say this, when they're in contiguous floors, which has been done before, you are still talking about some complexity because you've got cross easements and so forth as far as the common space. But lenders and equity providers or the investors can get comfortable with their position each, each in, in those um, structures. Interdispersed, they really cannot get comfortable. We have not, Baker Tilly, we, we probably work on 100 deals a year using the low-income housing tax credit program. We've never seen kind of a two-condo structure where the units are interdispersed. Uh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never seen one like that. So there's there's so many structural issues for the lenders. How do they get comfortable with their collateral when the individual units are scattered throughout the building? Uh, how do they take over if the borrower defaults, let's say? So there are, there are a lot of difficulties like that. Um, the contiguous floors is much, uh, although not easy, is much more... Uh, doable uh, that is done throughout the industry um, with sometimes, for example, com a commercial condo on the first floor and then units above. Uh, in this case, we're talking about, um, you know, three floors of low income with market rate above, that which is, has been done. This hasn't, you haven't seen this being done anywhere in the United States or just, I mean, this doesn't happen. I mean, is that basically? Well, again, to be clear, where you're trying to do a two condo structure where the low income units are scattered throughout the building, I've never seen that done. It's definitely never been done in Wisconsin since, since I've been in the industry since about 2000. So just for my clarification, 
the two condo structure. Could you explain that? Because I see this as being one building. So well, right. The two condo structure involves uh, uh, basically. As you, maybe Angie could talk. Oh, okay. That's what she yeah. Hi, I'm Angie, uh, and I'm legal counsel for Gebhardt Development. Just jumping in to answer condo-specific questions um, the best I can, although my partner, Matt Carlson, is a little better at it than I am. But um, generally with condominiums, um, what you're talking about is um, separate ownership of cubicles of air. Okay, So when we're looking at a two-condominium structure, in this case where the, the units are all on the three integrated connected floors, your box of air that you own is goes around those three floors very clean and easily okay and then your other box would be above or below um, when you stop start talking about interspersing the units essentially or the the apartments i have to use the word unit because that's a condo term when you mix the apartments all throughout the building and you're trying to create one condominium unit from an ownership and a financing perspective trying to um, do that in a legal condominium structure which involves a plat a lot of drawings, a condominium declaration, which is what creates the legal property that can be conveyed and financed. It's not only complicated, you end up with a piece of property that sort of looks like a dot-to-dot -dot picture. And so I think from the lender's perspective, when they look at that, it just looks really scary to them because they're not, they're not owning their, you know, box of property. It's, it's not connected. And so, you know, for them, that feels uncomfortable, um, from a financing perspective because they feel like they don't have continuity of their ownership uh, of their real property. Um, go one step backwards, I think, is yeah, the you bet. question in terms of why are we even talking about setting up two different condominium units? So we, we are setting up the two different condominium units um, for purposes of uh, financing and ownership. Um, you have different capital stacks for different types of uh, portions of the project. We did the same thing on the Constellation and the Galaxy. Like the Constellation, for example, is a, a five-unit condo. And so we condoed that project because we used TIF funds, we used um, MDA bonds, we used new market tax credits, we used um, traditional financing. But for each of those components of the project, depending on use, you can only use certain types of funds. So in this case, where we're looking at, we had a tax credits and affordable housing fund we want to allocate those funds to a specific piece of real property. And so the condominium unit enables us to create a piece of real property that's, that's three-dimensional instead of two-dimensional. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question, Melinda? Kind of. <laughs> if, if, I could, if I could add to that a bit more. Yeah, so there are also two different lenders, you know, typically. You know, one that would, you know, their collateral would be the affordable condo. I think we've talked about that here before. A different lender potentially for the market rate apartments above. Correct. So, is this a, a lender issue where lenders don't necessarily want to be owners or buy into affordable housing structures? I, I, don't, no. I don't think that's the case. I, I just think they want to have a clear understanding of what, what it is, to Angie's point, what their collateral is. Yeah. And then, if you take that another step further, the tax credit investor, which will actually own, right, Bill, 99.99% of whatever units they're investing in, they want to understand clearly what, what their collateral is as well. Right. I, and let me give you a, a um, more of a traditional example that helps kind of explain what condos can do because it's, it's sometimes hard for people that don't work in my world to really understand it without starting with 
let's say we have um, a developer that's building two buildings right next to each other, okay? And they're building them on two different parcels. They're gonna build one market rate housing and one affordable housing, but they're, they're really two pieces of real property. And WIDA's gonna finance one and um, Old National's gonna finance the other. In that scenario, you know, each bank gets their own collateral. There's not a mortgage that applies to both properties. So you're only using tax credits for the affordable project and you're using uh, traditional financing for the other project, but they're right next to each other and they're being done by the same developer at the same time. With a condo, you kind of just turn that sideways and you, you have to look at the parcel of property as the cubicle of air. It's, it's the same connect conceptually, but it's, it's a three-dimensional way of doing that. chance okay thank you all thank you thank you thanks so that brings us uh, technically on the agenda to our first item for which we plan to go into closed sessions so Alder Bidar when the Finance Committee considers the following matter, it may go into closed session pursuant to section 19.85, paren 1, paren E of Wisconsin statutes, which reads as follows, deliberating or negotiating the purchasing of public properties, the investing of public funds, or conducting other specified business whenever competitive or bargaining reasons require a closed session. If the Finance Committee does go into closed session, notice is hereby given pursuant to section 19.85 paren 2 of Wisconsin statutes that it may reconvene in open session without waiting 12 hours as specified in the statute. So I'll make a motion to go into closed session. Moved and seconded to go into closed session. This is a roll call. All in favor, aye. Those opposed, no, as your name is called. Alder Bedar. Aye. Alder Furman. Aye. Alder Kemble. Alder McKinney? Alder Moreland? Aye. Alder Revere? Aye. Mayor? Aye. The ayes have it. We will move into closed session. Thank you for clearing the chambers. And we'll wait for the go-ahead from City Channel. And we have a report coming out of closed session. The Finance Committee has, uh, I don't have the, the language of the motion in front of me, but in short, the Finance Committee has voted to terminate negotiations with Gephardt and open negotiations with Stonehouse according to the original staff recommendation, and our negotiation team will move forward with that direction. Is there any further discussion on the item? Seeing none, a motion to adjourn would be in order. Move adjournment. Second. Moved and seconded to adjourn. All in favor, aye. 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 Any opposed, no? We are adjourned. <laughs>